YouTube TV had a strong Q3, adding 600,000 subscribers according to Life and Research Group's estimates. We discussed the role of Sunday Ticket and the changing nature of sports distribution. Listen in to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and Colin Dixon from Inscreen Media is uh, with me, of course. Hey, Colin, how is everything on your end this week? It's great. I'm trying to get everything wrapped up so that I can take a good proportion of next week off, which is, of course, Thanksgiving. It is. But you don't eat uh, turkey, so no turkeys will perish for your appetite. They will not, no turkeys will, will will perish on my behalf, that's for sure. Okay. Uh, but we will be taking the week off next week. So folks, don't expect an Inside the Stream podcast next week. We'll be taking the week off, but we'll be back the week after. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started, Colin. And you have the first news item this week. I do. And Digital TV Research, which is a London-based organization, very reliable data, good good forecasting data. They put out a forecast for what they think the global OTT revenues by source will be in 2029. And it looks like pretty big growth. They're expecting pretty big growth, um, I suppose, obviously, in that market between now and 2029. Uh, the U.S. in particular, I thought, was pretty interesting. They're pegging U.S. SVOD revenues at about $54.6 billion and U.S. AVOD revenues at $21.6 billion, uh, for a grand total of 70, what, $76 billion, which is a pretty decent growth. And they actually see the U.S. market growing pretty strongly at about 11% they say between 2023 and 2029 so very very strong growth Uh, the US will remain the biggest market uh, just like where the biggest TV market will continue to be the biggest OTT market through then although others will make uh, substantial gains Uh, so anyway big big growth they see ahead for that market will yeah, I agree with you. I was looking over those numbers also and thought they were quite um, bullish. It's uh, you know it's a multi-year forecast, so hard to predict these things, but generally very very optimistic. I I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't know if I call it bullish. Will I? I think the the growth data that I'm seeing today and what we expect to see happening going forward really supports this the these numbers. So I'm I think I'll. I wouldn't be actually surprised if AVOD didn't actually outstrip it. We'll have to see. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's transition to an item that caught my attention this week was a uh, press release from Freewheels Council for Premium Video, FWC, and uh, the VAB, Video Advertising Bureau, um, which shared some uh, guidance about uh, buying premium video advertising and really trying to define what is premium video. And we've, uh, I think, had that conversation on Inside the Stream a number of times in the past. And uh, I think to some extent, we've always kind of said that premium is in the eye of the beholder. I think that that's still very much true, but um, Freewheel and VAB 
I, I thought articulated very well three factors that ad buyers should consider when buying premium video. Now, note that these factors are not specifying what specific type of video is premium, whether it's you know, reality or uh, sports or movies or, you know, originals or anything else. Rather, it's trying to define what the environment is for um, where the video is playing. And uh, the three that it called out were quality environment, brand safety and transparency and legitimacy. So on the quality environment, um, what they said was upholding audience trust and standards with trusted programmatic delivery, less clutter, and an optimal viewing experience. Uh, for brand safety, it's holding partners accountable for brand requirements and avoiding objectionable content with legitimate verification processes. And third is the transparency and legitimacy, knowing exactly what you are buying, ensuring viewable ads are running in appropriate content and seen by real people. And I, I think that um, all of those are really hallmarks of the traditional TV advertising uh, environment. And, you know, what I think it's maybe the unspoken message here is that other digital native types of platforms, whether that's YouTube or TikTok or, you know, others don't necessarily adhere to these same uh, types of quality uh, attributes. And, therefore, you know, again, according to Free Will and VAB, would not be considered, quote, premium, premium environments. And, you know, that's a distinction that the traditional TV world has been trying to draw between uh, the digital platforms, uh, digital native platforms and, and their own for years now. And so this, uh, I thought, was kind of another uh, update in that on in that sort of ongoing uh, process and um, you know worth paying attention to it it doesn't mean by any stretch that there aren't plenty of advertisers who are you know willing and and in some cases even want to have environments that are less buttoned up than the one that freewheel and and uh, the VAB are specifying here but but for those that really do want the most buttoned up environments the this is I think a pretty good checklist. Yeah, it is. And I, I, but I wonder how folks like YouTube really feel about this, Will, because they've been working really hard uh, with both YouTube and YouTube TV to make sure that, that they can offer premium, premium advertising experiences and do all the things that, that Free Will and the IAB are calling out here, which is, you know, to, to guarantee the safety of, of what's being offered to make sure that it's a quality environment and provide transparency and legitimacy across both YouTube and YouTube TV. So I really wonder how, how they feel about this effort that, that's, that's underway here from, from these two. Yeah, well, I mean, I certainly can't speak for YouTube, but I, I would say that, um, you know, to your point, they've worked hard. YouTube TV certainly, I think, would be considered a you know, premium environment by anybody's definition. YouTube itself um, is still a little wild and woolly, and uh, you know it wasn't that long ago when they uh, there were you know there were multiple reports about uh, whether about where ads were running and and what the you know what the deliveries were that you know caused a bit of a stir. So you know again, plenty of advertisers on YouTube, um, yet it's still you know not I, I think 
many would agree, not quite the environment of, of network or, or, or cable TV. But let's. Right. Um, I wonder. Uh, well, I wonder how they view the fast linear channels. Will some of those are you know based on traditional TV content, but others are based on YouTube content. You know, they're they're you know fa- a, a channel like Fail Army, for example. Yeah. I wonder how they how they classify those or how they would classify those in those environments. And it, it, it's particularly interesting because when you think about what's happening with some of the virtual MVPDs, which are playing both, they're actually playing both in the traditional world with cable channels like Sling TV, but they also have a very, very large number of fast channels which are available for free. Uh, through the same client and are blended are very often blended into the guide and the experience of the 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 sling tv client so it doesn't seem to me it's it's quite as clean and tidy as this seems to assume yeah so again i mean my reading of it is something like fail army a fast channel fail army it's again the environment rather than the content itself. So, right. as long as it's adhering how Fail Army, the fast ch- channel of Fail Army, is is running, you know, with transparency and legitimacy, with brand safety, and with the quality environment, then even though it's you know more kind of UGC ish, you know, other content. My understanding, anyway, reading of it is that that's not what Freewheel and the VAB are, fo- are would be focused on. Got it. But got it. Anyway, let's move on, Colin. We um, we have some sports and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, we have some YouTube TV uh, data, and we have some sports to talk about. Right, and um, this is actually yeah, we've got a, several I think related sports items. But I want to start actually with our friend Bruce Leishman's numbers, his estimates for the the performance of of the traditional pay team and virtual MVPDs in Q three. Uh, of 2023 and one of the things he said in his assessment of the of the Q3 performance was that he thought he estimated that YouTube TV had actually added 600,000 subscribers to reach 6.5 million and uh, that's I I say it's an estimate um, and it is an estimate because YouTube YouTube and Google does not generally give updates on how many subscribers there are to YouTube TV. Uh, but I, what I will say is that it's, it sort of corresponds fairly closely with how I see YouTube performing and when I YouTube TV performing and when I see s- samples and surveys and whatnot. Very clearly, YouTube is now the market leader. There is no question about that. And I've been, I've had uh, YouTube at about 6 million for a while. So this would put YouTube at about 6.5 million or something something like that, 6.5 million subscribers, which would make it a very, uh, very substantial part of the traditional pay TV universe. And I have to say, you know, such a big increase, uh, you've, got to, you've got to think that YouTube's purchase of the NFL Sunday ticket might have a lot to do with this, right? Because now, whereas before, you know, with DirecTV, if you got DirecTV, you could get your local games um, on DirecTV through 
um, through its satellite system and you could also get NFL Sunday ticket all combined into one single package and now YouTube TV is doing exactly the same thing you can get all your local channels through YouTube TV and now you can also subscribe to NFL Sunday ticket of course you can get NFL Sunday ticket if you want to unbundled with YouTube directly without that local um, without that local angle but clearly you know, the combination of having those two things in a single bundle, the YouTube TV bundle, has, uh, well, it looks to me like it's had a big impact on the growth of YouTube TV. What do you think? I think I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I would say that uh, they've done well. It's hard to, you know, quantify exactly how well. But yeah, I would say, you know, when you look at Bruce's numbers um, for the quarter, YouTube TV had by far the strongest growth of any, I mean, all the traditional uh, providers are all negative for the quarter. Uh, the VMVPDs are still growing, but YouTube TV by far the strongest. Um, and that's also off of the biggest base as well. So it obviously gets harder and harder to grow big numbers off of the bigger base. And um, yeah, Sunday ticket is Sunday ticket is a key variable. Yeah, the interesting thing with the with the virtual MVPDs, Will, is that, you know, the last couple of quarters, really the only two that have been growing has been YouTube, YouTube TV. And this is, of course, allegedly growing, growing because we couldn't, right. we don't actually know. But uh, the other one that we do know is Fubo. And Fubo has generally been doing pretty well, although it did, did lose a little last quarter. This quarter, four of the of the ones that we really know about looks like they've grown um hulu live grew by about three hundred thousand to 4.6 million sling grew to 2.1 million up up 0.1 and youtube tv was up uh 600,000 to 6.5 and fubo also did extremely well adding 300,000 subscribers to go to 1.5 million so it looks like these uh, virtual MVPDs seem to be benefiting, at least in some respects, from the decline in traditional pay TV. But, you know, Fubo, uh, that was a big, big growth. And YouTube TV also saw very big growth. And they are both, you know, they both have the advantages of sport, right? Fubo is very sports oriented. And YouTube TV has NFL Sunday tickets. So that all seems to be feeding into their growth and putting them making them grow faster yeah i agree <laughs> yeah and this actually there was a lot this week going on that really sort of feeds into this idea that sports are really now migrating pretty strongly online um, we've talked a lot about the RSN, the the demise of the RSNs. Well, this week, uh, Diamond Sports Group declared bankruptcy. Um, so it's it's that's that still came, continues to unravel. And one of the things, the interesting thing here is that one of the things that the broadcast that the, uh, the the teams that rely on the RSNs to get coverage are doing now is they are really looking for another way to reach that audience and for many of them the answer is streaming so if you look at NESN and Yes Network they've both started their own streaming services and for others 
they're they're doing streaming, of course, but they're also doing uh, some sort of deal with local TV providers. And that seems to be working out pretty well for some. Um, so I've seen several articles saying that, that, uh, that teams are seeing bigger audiences because of doing this, because of being available for free on local broadcasters. Uh, and they're also seeing quite a lot of traction for their streaming services. So this this really seems to speak pretty clearly to the continued migration of uh, of the RSNs and sports in general to streaming, and that that they when once they get there they seem to be doing pretty well. So I'm just wondering if you getting do you do you get any SN or is is that because that's a Boston based thing? Or is that yeah. something that you're subscribed to? Uh, yeah, and I think that um, what you were referencing on uh, Diamond was a um, piece that we have both seen this week that uh, with the demise of, of Bally, which is, of course, owned by Diamond, um, the Suns had migrated over to a local broadcast uh, station, KTVK, Arizona's family, and that channel was yanked by YouTube TV. Uh, as a result of a dispute, I assume a carriage dispute between YouTube TV and the owner of the station, Gray Television. So it's, uh, I think it <laughs> maybe goes to show that there isn't necessarily any, you know, kind of safe harbor these days when it comes to, for sports teams, when it comes to where to be um, distributed. The, um, the um, Bally's, their Diamond was, of course, the biggest regional sports network owner uh, in the country. And um, and they, of course, have declared bankruptcy there. I think one of their lawyers was quoted this week or last week as saying that um, there was hope that there might be a restructuring. Now it looks like they'll be completely uh, closed within a year from now. So all those teams are going to need to find homes. And yet the same, you know, the gray YouTube TV situation shows that um, there's still you know, ongoing issues around, uh, you know, carriage and distribution, particularly when it comes to sports. So um, it remains a, a kind of an un, uh, a volatile uh, space. It, it certainly does, Will. And one of the interesting things about, about all of this is if you are a sports fan, uh, the complexity in finding where to watch your game just keeps getting getting worse as far as I can see. And one of the things that really, this is a great example of where we are today. So the Women's Soccer League, the WSL, had, has done a great deal for the league. They just think to deal for 240 million. But if you look at the way this deal is structured, it's a four-year, 240 million broadcast and streaming rights deal. The, the rights are sort of smeared across a variety of platforms. So I'm looking at a piece in um, uh, Media Play News here. And it basically, it says that the rights are smeared across Prime Video, CBS, Paramount+, Plus, ABC, ESPN, ESPN+, and Scripps Ion. And... In, add to that, if one of the games 
that is being played is not picked up by one of those, there will also be a dedicated uh, WSL streaming app, which you would have to have to watch that game <laughs> too. And this is just, I, I, you know, if you're a fan of this league, finding out where the game you want to watch is actually playing is, is going to be a major headache, I think, going ahead. And this really is, I think, pretty reflective of the situation that people find themselves in with sports in general at the moment. It's just very, very complex. It's very difficult to figure it out. I know for my Premier League, um, the way that NBC is providing that is they're, they're splitting those games between traditional broadcasts. Some of them appear on NBC. Some of them appear on USA. And some of them appear on Peacock and Tracking the game that you want to watch is actually pretty darn difficult. Uh, so I, I think this is probably one of the offshoots of this this world we live in now that is sort of half between traditional and news streaming. So I don't know. It's 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 pretty difficult for folks how to figure out how to watch. I think it's a fair point, and it's something that we've certainly talked about in the past, uh, sports rights going all over the place, sometimes them being duplicated, um, uh, you know, having the same game uh, broadcast and streamed in two different places. And uh, I just, one other thing, sort of tangential, but related to this was I um, I was <laughs> intrigued by an article in the, in the New York Times this week about what the NFL is doing um, actually to... Uh, it has apparently 50 different productions in the pipeline that are about its players. And, you know, there, I don't know, some of our listeners may have seen the eight episode documentary on Patrick Mahomes that played on, um, on uh, Netflix and some of the other ones, but their NFL is very proactively going after developing uh, programming about its players and trying to augment what uh, the connection is between fans and and the sport and their and their players I, I thought that was a really smart idea and you know to the extent that it continues to bolster fandom i think that you know that may help address what you're saying which is people will figure out how to find the games that they that they want to watch yeah 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 i think it's a it's a great great idea for them too I, i've been concerned for the NFL with young people, Will, because it's very clear that young people aren't as connected into professional sports in general and NFL specifically as they were in the past. So finding ways to reach out to that younger audience, I think, is really critical. The only thing I will say is I still don't see how they're going to get young people watching three, three and a half hours of, of a game. I just don't see it happening. People, you know, young people just don't don't really sit still that long <laughs> to watch yeah. to watch a game like that. So I don't know how successful it will be in, in winning new fans for the sport, but uh, it will certainly deepen the engagement of those people that are already fans. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I think that might be it for this week, Colin, unless you had anything else. I do not, Will, and I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving next week. Have a great time with your families, and we'll we'll see you back here. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving to all. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News. All rights reserved.